Good morning, Community Church. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me. It's a, it's a real joy to be able to open up Ephesians and be with you in Ephesians today, even though it's remote and it's pre-recorded and all of that. Uh, but we've, we've all had to learn, haven't we, over this last year, how to definitely just make the best of, of, of the situation that we find ourselves in and also also trust that, that the Lord will use all of these uh, trying circumstances, not, not not to just help us to get by, but that we will come through it uh, looking shinier, more radiant, uh, more glorious, more steadfast than ever. Um, I'm very, I'm very, very convinced of that. If we are who we say we are, the church of, of Jesus Christ, the people of God, uh, then we will thrive and flourish during this season and come back all the stronger, come through, come through it all the stronger. I'm, I'm convinced of that. So. We're in Ephesians today, and you guys have been going through uh, the book, working through it. Sit, walk, stand. That's uh, 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 taken from I think it was Watchman Nee, who wrote the commentary of, of, of that of that name, uh, probably about eighty or so years ago now. It's a brilliant way to succinctly describe um, how the letter to the Ephesians unfolds. And here today, where we're going to be looking at the first sixteen verses of chapter four, we're seeing that we're really starting to get into the walk phase. Of the letter very very much so that's where we're going now chapters four and five and the early part of six really about the Christian walk if 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 all this is true of us if if this is who we are by the grace of God then then what does that look like what does a lifestyle look like that is lined up with that uh, how will that play out in the in the day to day so it's uh, yeah really what what a passage I've got now just to say I've got twenty minutes I've already used nearly two of them. <laughs> And it's 16 verses of an epistle. Now, epistles are, are generally speaking, quite dense. Uh, and so I won't be doing a detailed exposition. We'll definitely be true to the flow of the passage, but it won't be uh, hugely detailed because there's just too much for that in 20 minutes. But I think, nevertheless, we'll be able to mine out some some, some good treasures, hopefully. So I'm going to pray, ask the Lord to help me. Um, I'm doing that in real time. You're listening in real time. So when, you, when it comes for you to listen, please... Uh, agree with my prayer. So Father, as we look in Ephesians now, please help me by your spirit. Pray Holy Spirit, empower me, um, enliven me so that I can speak well. And I pray for those that listen when it comes to them on the 14th of March. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to listen well. They would hear you. I pray that they would be able to hear you through the sermon. Give them ears to hear what the spirit is saying to them as a church. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So uh, okay, I'm going to read it to you. The Bible says, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. So I'm going to do that. Uh, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of God, what words they are. So notice here at the start, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, whenever you get to a therefore, you've always got to say, what's the therefore, therefore? Um, he's springing out, remember these these chapter divisions, they're, 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 not, they're not in the original Bible, they were placed, chapters and verses placed in later, because it's such a big book, help us to reference, to find our way around, but they're not in it, it's a letter. Now, if you've got a letter through the post, I think actually some people over lockdown have started going a bit old school and doing that kind of thing. I know my daughter got a letter recently. She was very happy with it. About four sides or so of, of, of written um, written words. She didn't read one side and then and then put it down and then the next morning get up and read the next side and because she probably would have forgotten what had come before it. And But that's how we read our Bibles often. It's a strange thing, really. It's quite unnatural in some ways. Paul's saying, I therefore, therefore what? Well, he's just been unpacking in the last, uh, he's really got into in a big way uh, the, the the doctrine of one new man in Christ, that the church is uh, are the people of God from every nation and Jew and Gentile have been brought together, that the hostility between them has been broken down through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that we are now together. We are now the body of Christ. We are now Jew and Gentile, inhabit those who believe in Christ, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and we've become a dwelling place for God whom he, whom he wants to make his presence known amongst. That is the extraordinary thing of the church. And, and, and he has done so in such incredible, supernatural, world-confounding wisdom that even the principalities and the powers look on, this is in chapter 3, they look on at the church in its diverse unity. Uh, and they marvel at the wisdom of God. How did God do this in a divided world, in a broken, hate-filled world? Uh, in, 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 in a racist world, in an oppressive world. How has God done this? Um, they are amazed when they see the church operating as it should do in genuine, heartfelt unity. Um, rich and poor, old and young, all different ethnicities relating together well, male and female, honouring one another, honouring what they both bring under the wisdom and order of God. It's an extraordinary picture. And so springing out of that, he... Paul says to them, therefore, in light of all of this, um, I want you to walk. There it is. Sit, walk, stand. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You're the body of Christ. It's a calling. It's a, it's a spiritual reality, but it's a calling as well. It's um, We often use the word calling to talk about things very specific to our individual sense of what God wants to do with us. Actually, scripturally, the word calling is normally used to describe us, our conversion. You were called into Christ. And here Paul's using it to describe our calling as the church, as the dwelling place of God, as the house of God. He's saying you've got to walk in a manner that's worthy of that, which is then where. And, and it's interesting. You think he might say, you know, uh, lots of um, 
ideals about what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy, you know, be confident, you know, and that's not wrong, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Be faith-filled. Well, that's not wrong, but he doesn't say that. Um, be, be triumphant and victorious. That's not wrong, but he doesn't say that. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. You see, the faith, the victory, uh, the confidence in God that we are that we are called into as believers, as part of the body of Christ, is to be is to be clothed with humility. It's to be clothed with patience and a bearing with one another and an understanding of one another and of being uh, slow uh, to speak and quick to listen. You think this is it's to have that flavour about it. Why? Because it's a gospel flavour. It's what Jesus did. That's why. It's to reflect Him. He came, he who in very nature was God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, became, took on the form of a servant, even became obedient to death. This, this humility, come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. It's, it's an interesting thing. Talking to people of a of a older generation to me, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I think I'm a bit of a crossover generation. I'm 47. I think I'm a bit of a crossover generation. What I mean by that is is that when I speak to the average 60, maybe even 55 plus, and then speak to the average 30 and below, the difference is so stark culturally, so so stark, and in so many ways. But one of the main ways is I would say there is a such a, a preoccupation with self. Uh, among among the younger ones, I definitely find you know I find that pull in me. We all do. It's part of the flesh. But even culturally, I would say very often you talk to those who are that bit older, and it's just not there in the same way. They weren't fed with such an individualistic uh, kind of message, um, and it, it can it can get into our Christianity in a really unhelpful way. It, it, it can. It, you you read the Bible like it was written just for you individually now of course it was it was it's true but actually these letters were written to churches and um, in English the word for you is the same whether you're speaking to a whole group of people or an individual it's you but in in other languages you you know what it's referring to and in the epistles so much of what's going on here the vast majority it's you every now and then Paul will refer to a couple of individuals who have fallen out or something but it's you it's you it's you it's a people you are part of the people of God and I think that we just passages like this really help us understand there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I mean, this is extraordinary who's over all and in all. And so Paul is emphasizing the fact that this unity requires patience, bearing with one another, slow to speak, quick to listen. Real investment in understanding one another, where we're coming from. It really requires that, that we learn to treat each other well, <laughs> that we learn to love well, that we, that we take time with these things and that we give, we give a lot of time to how can I love well? And um, it's interesting, you know, I do think that God never promises us a trouble-free life, that's for sure. But it's also true that those who are most loved are those who are best at loving. And... Um, I'm not saying that they never get spurned or rejected, but what you will find is those who love and invest um, over time, over a lifetime, 
there's an extraordinary sense of um, blessing that they've, that, they've, that they've given out. And sometimes we can be so fixated of why don't I feel more love? Why am I more loved? You know what? You are so loved. <laughs> you are so loved. Jesus laid his life down for you. Jesus laid his life. Jesus took in his body the judgment that you deserve for the things you've said and done wrong, the things that make you feel guilty, the things that have offended God. You know, God has dealt with it out of love, out of pure, perfect love. God has dealt with it. God gave up his one and only son, his one and only son. Jesus gave himself up for us. This Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for that work on the cross. Extraordinary that we could be freely forgiven and reconciled to God through simple faith. So simple holding, turning to Jesus, turning away from everything else, turning to Jesus and being saved. If you've never done that, this is this is God's love towards you, shown once and for all. Absolutely extraordinary. And so we know we're loved. And out of that place, we can learn how to love well and to protect and guard this unity that we have here together. But then he also makes this point in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, what you'll notice with the Apostle Paul, he loves he loves um, holding up unity with diversity and unity with individuality. He constantly, he often, commonly brings these two themes together because he wants us to understand there's this tension. There's this unity in the body of Christ, but there's diversity, diversity of gift and personality and backgrounds. And so the church should never be made up of clones. It's always... Sad when you see Christians mimicking other Christians in superficial things, in body language and other things. No, 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 no. We should mimic one another in terms of godly attributes, yes, but it's to be expressed through our own God-given personality and who we are. Otherwise, you end up with a church of clones and people leave their personality at the door and you don't have something healthy and people never bring who they really are to church. They just develop this kind of persona for church. What you want in the church is you want genuine, deep godliness um, and, and care for one another and unity, but expressed in ways that's really true to, to the amazing work of God in creating us all as individuals. And that's a really important tension to hold together. And the other one is that, yes, all we are one. We are the body of Christ. So we're living stones that make up the temple. But also the Bible also teaches you are individually a temple your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So you're a living stone that makes up the temple, but you're also a temple of your own body. And the Bible uses both of those images there because there's this tension of, I am part of this. But also I've been individually, I've been individually graced. I've got, God has dealt with me. God has saved me as an individual. I'm not, as Terry Virgo says, part of a job lot. He's called me by my name. I know him. I'm, I, I've been saved. I, I know the Lord. And, and so, this is where he says that each one of us has received grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he, he does an interesting thing. He quotes from the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Really important phrase. He gave gifts. He's quoting from the Old Testament and he's now going to interpret it through a gospel lens. Say this is about Jesus who ascended. So the Bible says that he, he came as a, as a baby, took on humanity, took on flesh, uh, lived that sinless life died for us and then rose again and then after 40 days of appearing to various disciples ascended to be seated at the right hand of the father which is where he is seated now and uh, while all of his enemies are being gathered under his feet uh, at which point he will return and the end will come 
And so that's the Jesus ascended. So he talk, so he interprets this Old Testament um, scripture through a gospel lens. He's talking about Jesus. He gave gifts to men. Okay, it sounds like people are, are getting gifts, getting presents. But then listen to how he interprets it um, in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So where the, the Old Testament says he gave gifts to men, Paul interprets that as the gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, the men, the church. So he gave these gifts to men. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to the church that it would be built up, that it would come to maturity. And that's what he's saying here. This is but he's saying for, in order for the church to really grow into its full maturity, its full uh, splendor, there, there are these ministries that have been given. And these ministries are gifts in and of themselves. Um, we all have spiritual gifts. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Praise God for that. And um, the Bible goes into great detail about how we find our place in the body through the gifts that we have. All of us have that and all of us have th things to bring. But there are also these specific ministries here that actually are described as gifts. The people themselves are given to the church. The calling of God on their life is such that they are given, they're called to the church. That's what they're about. They, they um, eat, drink and breathe the church. Why? Because they've been given by Jesus to the church. And when these ministries are operating in the church, there's a grace. Something happens. So it's given to them. Something the church is built up. It grows. There's a supernatural working of God's spirit, whereby the saints are equipped to do the stuff. The saints are equipped. The saints become apostolic people when apostles are coming in. The saints become prophetic people when the prophets are coming in. The saints become evangelistic people when the evangelists are coming in. The saints become uh, pastoral people, caring, looking out for one another. When the pastors are coming, they become well-taught people, able to disciple one another and teach one another. When the teachers are coming, it has an impact on the church and it. It builds them up. And so they're no longer knocked around by all different ideas and teachings and emphasis. No, no, no. They're not blown around by that anymore. But they, they become a people that build themselves up in love. It's an extraordinary and it's a powerful picture. And it, it helps us to realise why these ministries are needed and will be needed until the church comes to maturity. Notice that the image here is of Christ as the head and the church as the body. And I, I, I put this as reverently as I can. Um, sometimes the way the church is active, it's like Christ has the, it's like an adult head, but with like a toddler's body. Such has been the division, the envy, the immaturity, the putting away, up following after agendas, um, the, the carelessness, the lovelessness, the prejudice in the church. It's like a little toddler's body on this wonderful mature head. The Bible says as these ministries come in and the church receives them, the church grows into stature, becomes the stature of Christ. It becomes able to express something of what Jesus is really like in a way that manifests something of his actual stature. This is a picture we're being given of a glorious church, that God's plan is for a glorious people. This is the plan and the purpose of God. And so the church must receive these ministries. These ministries must be coming in in a meaningful way, not to make the church comfortable, far from it, to bring the church growth. And growth is always uncomfortable, but always really, really fruitful. So apostles come in, the church is caught up. 
into mission to the next town, to the next nation, to the next continent. That is part of the church, becoming an apostolic people. Um, that's, this, this, is, this is how it works. This is, this is health in the church, not with a parochial mindset, but with a breadth of vision. And so this, this here, I'm coming up to 20 minutes. I've just hit my 20-minute marker. I'm just starting this sermon. Um, I, have to, I have to begin to, to wrap this up. But I want you to see here today through this passage is that the glory of who we are. You've been hearing about that, I'm sure, in chapters 1, chapters 2, chapters 3. Now now know that, understand that, and walk in a manner worthy, which means caring about one another, taking time, being patient, being humble, learning, listening, being godly, loving well, learning that, because we're one thing. We've got to protect that unity. He's brought us unity, but we've got to, we've got to maintain it. But he's done it. We, have to, we, we maintain it with his help and power, of course, but it's something that we do. Um, and then we receive these ministries that, that come in, that God has graced the church with, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers that bring this growth and this unity so that the church comes to maturity. Hallelujah. There's so much more I could say. I feel like I've even spoken too fast as it is, but such is life on Zoom. I hope there's been something in there that's encouraged you. I hope there's been enough in there to stir your heart and to feed your mind and to and to st- stimulate your your thinking and, and and to help with your with your devotion if you do not know the lord jesus let me just say to you listen he has done it he's made a way come to him call on his name in faith you will be saved the bible says and your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men but when you call on him and he comes to you you'll know him and your faith will rest on his power as he's changed your heart given you a brand new heart and church i just want to encourage us let's keep going Let's keep pressing on. Let's let's be confident that we will come out of this season shinier than when we came in. God bless you. Lots and lots of love to you.